So I'm going to, uh, we're, I just started a two-part series, started it last week, ask, asking the question, who is Jesus? And my goal is I want Jesus to, his, his image in your spiritual sight, the eyes of your heart would become clearer over these last week and this week. So that as you enter into Christmas morning tomorrow, that your picture of him is clear and not all fuzzy because of the way the world does its thing to our faith. It erodes it if we're not careful. And it's one of the reasons we gather together ever as a church is to clarify who Jesus is because he has grown fuzzy and your faith has gotten a little shakier than it should be. And we come together to remind each other who is Jesus. So the first answer to that question last week was Jesus is God. That's the first answer to that question. The second answer this morning is Jesus is a man, a complete human. He is fully God and he is fully human. And I want to squeeze those things together just like they are in Jesus. And it's kind of like a, um, a, a big, it's almost like feels like a contradiction emotionally. You have this sweet baby in a manger, this story that the world loves. Because it's sweet and it's pretty and it's calming and it's peaceful. Um, not that babies are peaceful when they're babies. I don't understand that. But I never had one of those. Uh, they're loud and make weird noises and weird smells. Uh, and they don't sleep when you want them to. But whatever, all right? So you have this sweet baby story. And then you have these majestic, glorious scriptures about Jesus being God in heaven. We read those last week. And Christmas is the squeezing together of those two things all at the same time. And that's what I, I want you to feel like you're getting jerked back and forth between glorious, heavenly pictures and sweet, beautiful, peaceful pictures. All right? And we're going to end this morning singing Silent Night right after I read Revelation 5. And you, think, you would think they don't go together. But I'm doing this on purpose. Because I want you to feel the contradiction of that and how they come together in Christ. So to kind of recall what we, where we were last week and put that back in your brain, or if you, just, if you weren't here last week, this will summarize. This is a long quote, uh, but Chris is going to put it on the screen. This is from Charles Hodge, um, another wonderful dead guy, um, wrote this in 1871 in his systematic, famous classic systematic theology book. So I'll read this to you. I love this. Hopefully you'll love it too. He says, all divine names and titles are applied to him. He is called God, the mighty God, the great God, God over all, Jehovah, Lord, the Lord of hosts, and the King of kings. All divine attributes are ascribed to him. He's declared to be omnipresent, omniscient, almighty, and immutable, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is set forth as the creator and upholder and ruler of the universe. All things were created by him and for him, and by him all things consist. He's the object of worship to all intelligent creatures, even the highest, all the angels, meaning all creatures between man and God, are commanded to prostrate themselves before him. He is the object of all the religious sentiments of reverence, love, faith, and devotion. To him, mankind and angels are responsible for their character and conduct. He required that humanity should honor him as they honored the Father, 
and that, that they should exercise the same faith in him that they do in God. He declares that he and the Father are one, that those who had seen him and had, had seen the Father also. He calls all people unto him, promises to forgive their sins, to send them the Holy Spirit, to give them rest and peace, to raise them up at the last day, and to give them eternal life. God is not more and cannot promise more or do more than Christ is said to be, to promise and to do. He has therefore been the Christian's God from the beginning in all ages and in all places. That's a whole sermon in a paragraph. Old words that have stood the test of time. So that was my, the whole, that summarizes where we learned last week. So if you missed it, now you got the whole thing. I should have just read that last week, and we could have gone home early. All right. So this morning we're looking at Jesus is a man, and I'm going to use some of the same scriptures or stuff next to some of the same scriptures we looked at last week. You'll, if you were here, you'll recognize some of this. So following the verses last week, we were in John 1, where Jesus is referred to as the Word. We sang about that this morning, who was God and was with God, the Word being Christ. If you go read John 1, 1, don't be confused. Word with a capital W is Jesus, okay? And we talked about some of the nuances of what that means. So here, following that, that we read last week, he goes on. This is John 1, 9 through 14, and then 16 through 18. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So John's essentially listing all these wonderful things we get from God that God has done for us. And one, maybe the most important, is that we have been reborn into the family of God, not by the will of your flesh, not because you thought you had the ability and you kind of got your act together and you made yourself part of his family. He says it was by the will of God only that he has brought you into his family and remade you, recreated you. You have been born again into his family. Then there's this wonderful word that slips right by if you're not paying attention. He says he dwelt among us. And in Greek, that word means it's like, a, it's like in English when you take a noun and you make it a verb. It's kind of not really proper English, but you, you would say tabernacled in this case. That word dwelt is referring to a tent, a temporary dwelling. When you go camping, you don't build a house. You have a tent. And the tent, a tent, because you can put it up and take it down, it's a temporary thing you can move around. So for Greek speakers at this time, um, they would have either thought, thought of the tent of meeting, which is this place in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, where Moses would go in this tent, just a tent, not a special tent, just go in the tent, 
and God would appear as a pillar of cloud and block the door. And in this tent, Moses would meet with God face to face, and God would tell him stuff. And then Moses would go out to the people and say, hey, I went in the tent of meeting, and God told me this. Here's what we're going to do. Or later, not much later, a little while later, you had the tabernacle, which was a slightly more permanent structure where they would, the priests would go in in place of the people and worship God on their behalf, okay? And inside of that was the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, the place where God resided. However, the Hebrew language translation of this verb would have been Shekinah. So if you were a Hebrew speaker, you would have heard the word Shekinah. And Shekinah is the word that describes the manifest presence of God, which you see in a few places in the Old Testament, where God appears as like a a cloud, like a mist in the temple. And it's where God's physical, visible presence visits his people. And so John is playing around with these two words. And he's saying, Jesus is the meeting point between God and his people. He is the physical, visible, touchable, knowable, visible manifestation of God himself. And he is the meeting point. It's where he is where heaven and earth meet, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is heaven itself, and he is the place where heaven touches earth. This is what's happening in the manger. This is what's happening when Mary gives birth to a little boy. Is heaven is touching earth in him. Heaven has come to earth and heaven has touched earth and God is meeting with not just Moses in the tent of meeting, God is meeting face to face with his people. That's who Jesus is. Last week we read Hebrews 1 where it tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Yet right after that in chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. How can that be? How is it that God can call you brother and sister? And he explains that in verse 14 and 8 through 18. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus has the same flesh and blood as you do. Jesus, who is God, calls you brother and sister. And he's not being metaphorical. He's not being symbolic. He's saying, we're made of the same stuff. You say, well, Ben, that's crazy, because last week you said Jesus was made of the same stuff as God. And now you're saying Jesus is made of the same stuff as you and me. Both are true. 
That's the magnificence of the gospel. God took on flesh. So these angels, spirit beings with no flesh and blood, could not do it. They were not qualified to stand in for God. They couldn't do it. It had to be someone like us in, quote, every respect, so that he could represent us to God as our once and for all high priest and atone for our sins as one of us. That's the message of Hebrews. As Jesus came from among human beings, from among the sea of humanity, that's Revelation 5, where we're going to end, and he goes, he represents humanity to God in the temple. He is also the temple itself, and he also represents, fully represents God the Father to humanity. He's doing all of that at the same time in one person. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In every other religion, both today and in the time of the writing of these verses, every other religion is ultimately about humanity climbing its way up to God or whatever version of God they want to concoct. It's about improving yourself and and doing certain things, following the rules, following the rituals, doing the stuff, climbing your way up to God, up to heaven, up to some kind of perfection or enlightenment, and it's on you. Here's the rules, follow the rules, you'll get there on your own. But only in Christianity does the ultimate goal and standard, God himself, come down to us. We don't go up to him. It's the problem with the Tower of Babel. They were trying to climb their way up to God. And Jesus said, I'm not having any of that. I'm going to confuse you because in in me, I come to you. I come as a servant. No unrighteous being can enter heaven. And there is no one righteous but Jesus. So Jesus gave us his righteousness and he did it as us he didn't do it as just a beneficent king who bestowed upon you his good graces the king stepped off of his throne and became you and then paid the penalty that was owed to him as the king the only one with the right to be god gave us the right to be children of god that's john 1 12 we just read it he the only one with the rights gave us the rights to be the children of God. But wait, there's more. It gets better. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. So first of all, Jesus, he, under, he sympathizes. He understands what it means to be tempted because he himself is human. Every temptation you've ever experienced, every weakness you've ever felt in your body, tiredness, hunger, frustration, all of it, he has been tempted with the same way. And then Hebrews 7, 23 to 25 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Eventually, all the elders in this church will be dead. Not soon, but at some point, 
but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What? Jesus lives on. He is alive right now. And what is he doing? One of the things he's doing is he's continuing to make intercession for you and for me. That's pretty cool. He's interceding for us. He's praying for you and continuing to represent you. Jesus still has a physical body. Jesus didn't just come into into creation as a baby, as a human being, grow up, die, resurrect, ascend to heaven, and lose his body and go back to where he was before. He still, right now, represents you not only as God, but as a human being. And he will forever. Think about that. You will see him face to face. You will meet him. You will see him with your own eyes. You'll shake his hand and hug his neck and cry on his shoulder. He has an upgraded body, but he still has a human body. All right, wrapping this up. I feel the natives are restless. So last week I closed with Revelation chapter 4, where John describes the throne room of God like the glory of God is radiating out from the throne in all these different colors. And you have this sea of creatures, humans, creatures that we can't hardly describe or understand. It's all the things God has made. And they're worshiping him, holy, 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 holy. Just, and then, and then they're, they're falling down on their faces and casting their crowns before him and worshiping. And it's just this crazy heavenly party. That's what John describes. This amazing thing happens in Revelation 5 where there's a scroll. And there's a scroll that needs to be opened. And the scroll represents the will of God. The will of God, or the, you could say the decrees of God, which the goal of which is to redeem me and you. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm, I'm gathering my people around me. I want a big family. This sea of creatures is not quite big enough. I'm gathering my church. And, he's, and there's this question, well, who's worthy to open the scroll? And Hebrews tells us, all the angels in heaven are not worthy. There's only one that's worthy. And what you see is Jesus symbolically represented coming not from the throne to take the scroll, but he comes from among the creatures and ascends the throne, and he's the one who's worthy to take the scroll. It's a beautiful picture of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. So we're going to read this together. You don't, well, you just, I'm going to read it to you. And then we're going to sing Silent Night, which again will be a vibe change. But that's on purpose. I want you to be have two things bouncing around in your heart at the same time. So that's, why don't we stand together? That'll help the kids a little. So Revelation is meant to be imagined. That's why it's so weird and visual. So let your imagination like go. Like you need to close your eyes and just imagine all these images. Just do that, whatever it takes. But imagine this 
Um, this is what John is seeing. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and gold, golden bowls full of incense, worship, worship, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's us. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and all the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads, of myriads and thousands of thousands, imagine it, all saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's sing together.